Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And I hope that all of you guys are having an awesome day wherever you are at. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. Well, today I'm excited to jump into the next department of our series on the eight departments to create a winning hearth company. And this episode is going to be all about creating a sales department. Now, one thing I'll clarify before we get into this episode is that we've talked a lot in this podcast in the past about individual sales techniques. And in the future, we're actually going to be going back to spend some more time on that. Today's conversation is about a sales department. So if you're a leader, if you're an owner or a manager, what tools need to be in place for your sales team to thrive? Now, I mentioned this last week that these principles will apply whether you are the sales department or whether you have an entire team underneath you. It's important when you think about sales to provide tools. I really believe that salespeople very often are a product of the systems that they're in. And very often, I would say most salespeople in our industry are very mediocre And it's not always because of bad intent on their part, but in many cases, it's because they just haven't been given the tools to succeed. They don't know what's expected of them. They've never been taught a sales process. They don't know how to manage a book of business. And so because of that, they find things to do and they stay busy. They're just not things that actually move the needle for what their job description is. A while back, Grant Falco and I started the Firetime Network. And the cost of entry for the Firetime Network is you have to fill out an anonymous survey about your business. And one thing that's really interesting is that part of the survey, if you're a retailer, has you force rank the different departments of your company. And I got to go back to look at the exact data, but it's something like less than 5% of the businesses who signed up ranked their sales department even in the top four of the weakest categories. Sales was always one of the strongest categories of their company. But as I go into work with businesses, sales is actually often one of the weakest parts of the business. And I think what's hard is that because we might make sales and because we look around and our team is always busy, we think that our sales team is strong. But the truth is a lot of the time they're not. And my hope is that This conversation gives you tools that can make it easier and easier for your team members to sell and unlock productivity in them or in yourself that you never thought was possible. So with that, in this conversation, Grant and I are going to go over five specific tools to help grow your sales team. And the tools are, number one, a sales process. Number two, a simple pricing solution. Number three, utilizing a CRM system or customer relationship management system. Number four is creating a weekly game plan. And then number five is having a cadence of regular sales meetings. And we're going to dive deep on this. Now, because this is a podcast conversation, I know that there's going to be questions about it. And I would encourage you to send them to us. My email address is tim at itsfiretime.com. That's tim at it's firetime.com. And we're going to end this season of the podcast with a Q&A episode dedicated to all the questions that we got about these eight departments. 
So I want to get into the conversation so you can listen to it. But as always, we'll circle back at the end. And there's a few points that I want to bring up after you've heard this conversation. Joining me once again is Grant Falco. Grant, I'm super excited to be jumping into this next department of running a hearth company. This is all about the sales department. And this is something that, you know, back on that flight to Minneapolis, we talked and came up with all of these different things and tools that we're utilizing to run our teams better and better. But for this podcast, we boiled it down to five, where if you've got these five tools in play, you're going to be able to do amazing things with your team. And I I want to hit those one by one by one, starting off with the first tool you need in your sales team if you want it to be effective is a sales process. I mean, this is a roadmap for how to make a sale. I mean, I, I feel like without a sales process, you've got nothing, right? Oh, 100%. And we all might have a sales process, Tim, but do we have a specific sales process? You know, when you introduced uh, your seven-step sales process to me, I was a little bit taken back, like, wow, seven steps? That's a lot of steps. That's too many. I I feel like it needs to be three to five. But but the cool part is, is we're doing most of the things. Yes. There's maybe one or two things that we weren't doing, but once you actually look into the process, it's a lot of things that we're doing. I think the key to having a process is to keep it consistent yeah. with all your sales team and even new members. Yes. You know, this is a big thing for me. So like when people hear me talk about this and they hear sales process, they think you're trying to replace me with a robot. You're trying to make it so I don't yeah. bring my unique personality to the table. And dude, like no way, that's not the case. Like we use the example all the time. A sales process is putting lines on the basketball court yeah. so that you know which game you're playing. I mean, you know, if you tell your team that you want to drive to New York, I live in Oregon, so like to drive to New York is a long way. And if I don't give them a map to get there, guess what? They're going to be going all over the place and probably won't make it there. Versus if I give them a map and say, first you're driving through this state, and then this state, and then this state, it gives them direction and clarity. Yeah. And I mean, and I would argue that it gives a salesperson more creativity through the the actual selling because they don't have to focus on the actual basic process. It's in place, it's standardized. And if you have a support staff or a team around them, it's, it's expediting the sales process. Your goal is to manage expectations, uh, and to set them up to win and, uh, having a process to that allows that to happen the same way every time in turn, allowing your sales staff to, to, to sell better. Dude, I'm so glad you said that, that it actually gives them direction and helps them be more creative. So it's so funny. I could go on a rant on this because I, I actually believe this is true go in for it. so many aspects of life. But dude, freedom comes through constraint. It 100% does. Like anyone that has experienced any amount of life knows that freedom for the sake of freedom is actually slavery. But freedom through constraint is where life gets good. And you think about that with sales, like, right? So you have some constraints of a sales process. So whatever it is. So take take my sales process, seven steps. Step one, greet the customer. Step two, understand their problem. Step three, advise a solution. Step four, make a plan. Step five, call to action. Step six, pursue the opportunity. Step seven, show gratitude. So you might be like, oh, Tim, like, man, that's robotic. I can never do that. But you think about what that actually is. Like, greet the customer. When they come into the store, like, you're probably going to greet them anyway. So knowing that you have to do it can actually help you work on how to connect better, right? You know, if you don't understand their problem, you're going to be going from product to product to product. And again, like not building the trust and making the connection with them. And I would argue, like you're saying, that the constraint of the steps in the process actually gives you freedom to be the salesperson that you were meant to be. 
There's no question. I agree with that 100%, Tim. And it's hard for me because, you know, you want to think that your value in a salesperson is your sales talent, but that's 50% of it. Mm -hmm. It's managing expectations. I mean, we always talk about understanding what the customer comes in for. And and we've talked about this many times. They're coming in looking for a solution to their problem and and basically how much does it cost? The third thing they're looking for is a plan to get it done in it to be easy. And the seven step sales process from start to finish allows that to happen each and every time your customer comes in. Yeah. I mean, and, and the truth is like, we do really well with frameworks. If we can have a framework for something, that's how we can fine tune and get better. We give the example all the time. Like, you know, if you want to lose weight or if you want to become a runner or get in shape, like whatever it is, right? So if you go to the gym and you've never been there before, you don't know what the machines do. And you say, well, I'm just going to be free to be a natural and just do what I want. Dude, it's not going to happen versus if there is a framework built for you, which is constraint saying like, well, here's the bench press and you're going to do 10 reps at this weight, and then you're going to go run on the treadmill, and then you're going to go swimming, whatever it is, that actually gives you freedom to get the results that you want to get. And I think that with the sales process, again, a business needs to think about this. And, and for you listening, think through your sales process because you have one. Now, if you want to rip off mine, man, like do it. Like no shame, man. Like use the seven step sales process. I hope you do. But maybe you've got three steps or five steps or 10 steps that are a little bit different. That's okay teach it to your team. And the way that I look at our steps, like, you know, when we talk about step two, understand the customer's problem. I don't exactly tell you how to do that. I've got some tips and some pointers that we can go through if you want some fine-tuned coaching, but I give you a lot of freedom. Like, how do you connect with a customer? Do you want to use a computer? Do you want to use a notepad? What is the best way for you using your expertise and your natural charisma to understand the customer's problem? So there is constraint, but within that constraint, just like lines on a basketball court, there is immense freedom that actually brings out creativity. Yeah, Tim, I just, I I love listening to you talk about that. And when I'm looking at your seven step sales process, it could be in a more general term, cut down to three or four steps. And and with that said, I want to ask you a question. So obviously, number one, greet the customer. Number two, understand the problem. I think a lot of people do that, whether they know it or not. I think a lot of us through the selling process, advise a solution and make a plan I think five, six, and seven are something I want to ask you just to touch on. Yeah. The call to action, the pursue the opportunity, and the show the gratitude, I think is something that gets missed almost every time. Yeah. And so can you just speak to the value that you find in those three? Oh, man. Well, I mean, they are the heart and soul of the process, right? I mean, if you do, do all the digging to understand their problem, to advise a solution, and you know it's the right thing, you know, maybe they, they don't have heat, they're paying way too much for their electric bills, for you not to make a plan saying, here's the steps it's going to take, call to action, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, do you want to get a proposal today? Do you want us to come out to your house? Can we write this up? Can we take a deposit? Like, man... That's terrible for everybody. It actually doesn't value the needs of your customer to do that. And, you know, frankly, I think that this is why having a process is so important because it gives clarity. We're like, if you don't have a process, you don't diagnose why your people aren't selling. But when you understand that this is the process and we need to call to action, we need to pursue the opportunities and we need to show gratitude afterwards, it shows you when it's not being done, you can actually identify it. Whereas if you've never established that process, you just get upset as a business manager or an owner, man, I wish that Joe was more effective with sales, but you actually can't even, you don't know why. 
you don't understand why it makes complete sense. Yeah. I think for, for our company, Tim, I think we've always had a sales process, but I think kind of shoring up that sales process was what brought to light the value of, you got to ask for the money, ask for the estimate, ask for the follow-up, ask for the email address, ask for the phone number. You got to ask, you got to yeah. call to action. Uh, you you got to make a plan. I mean, make a plan is such a big deal. And yeah. ours is, you know, pretty simple set up and get a bid. We already got you a ballpark price. Let's let's sure up that consultation bid and let's get you installed successfully. Uh, so it's a simple plan. It doesn't have to be this like crazy huge plan. Yeah. It just you just got to give the people the stone so that you can cross that that that. Uh, I forget the uh, uh, saying, but uh, we need those stepping stones to cross that stream. Yes. And you're just giving them the stepping stones to cross it with making it a plan. The pursuing the opportunity and the show of the gratitude is something that we have seen recently show dividends on happier customers, uh, an increase in overall closure rates. Yes. And, and we all know that we have to do it. But we just don't prioritize it that that it's as important as the other things. And what would you say to that? How important is pursuing the opportunity and showing gratitude? Dude, it is everything. Like, I mean, we've had people working for our company that most of you listening would never hire that I guarantee have sold more than you know, maybe some of your better sales reps because they pursued the opportunities they had. They didn't have the best personalities. There there was gaps in their technical knowledge and like that's not an indictment on them. Like we took the tools that we had available and we tried to put a system around them, i.e. a sales process to help them succeed. And the follow-up is the biggest thing, man. Like, you know, whenever I teach sales, I say that like 80 to 90% of sales is how you follow up and communicate. Like it's not what you say on the showroom floor. That That is part of it. But man, like sales is a game of follow-up, period. 100%. I mean, you've talked about this many times, but how many times should we follow up? Oh, I mean, you know, this is up to how you want to do it in your business, but I would say at least seven times per opportunity. And I say at least because the customer will let yeah. you know when they don't want to buy. And until they let you know, then it's your obligation to continue to pursue. So, you know, we I forget what episode it was last season, but we talked about how you follow up until they fly by or die. Actually, I think it was the one with Adam Cribb from Minneapolis. But anyway, you follow up till they fly by or die. But I would say at least seven times. 100%. And I don't want to keep going on this because I know we have four other tools to yeah. talk about. But I think it's really important to, to like talk about the follow-up, Tim. Explain, you know, uh, not, not you don't have to go into detail because, again, time sensitive. But the follow-up can be something as simple as, oh, I got to talk to my wife. The follow-up is literally an email just saying, how'd that conversation go? Absolutely. Or, or, or how was the vacation that you had to go on that didn't allow you to make this decision? Just want to see how everything's going. Just want to make sure you that I'm there. You're giving them an opportunity to say no. And if they don't say no there still is some interest there. Absolutely. And you know what? Your customer knows they can say no. So they will tell you when they don't want to buy. But yeah, until then, you got to follow up. And I think this is actually going to bleed really well into one of our next tools. So I want to pause it right there. But I just want to leave this with, if you're a sales manager or leader, you have to document and teach your sales process to your team over and over and over and over again. Create the process. If you don't have one, use ours from the podcast, right? Seven steps, very easy. You can go back and listen to season three to get a deep dive on every one of those steps, but create a sales process and teach it regularly. So the next tool that we had is this, and I think that this is super important, Grant. We talked about how if you want to run an effective sales team, you have to have an effective pricing solution. And here's what I mean by that. So 
Manufacturers' price books are fine. I get that. They're laid out efficiently for a manufacturer to organize SKU numbers in an Excel sheet. But they are not conducive to actually helping a customer on the showroom floor. In addition to that, very often the POS system that you use is actually not conducive to helping a customer on the floor either because what happens is when a client comes in, say they're looking at a wood stove, and they say, what's this going to cost? Well, in order to figure out what it costs, the salesperson's got to pull up in the MSRP price book and, you know, what's the part number here? a 3 dash two four five dash L, okay, there's the stove door, A3-245-12, okay, there's the legs, A5, you get what I'm saying, yeah. but they have to add every single part of the stove, every single part of the vent kit, and, it, and it's a huge ordeal, and because of the effort with that, most salespeople don't write up customers and estimate in the showroom, and, and I learned this at Fireside, like right when I started, the more estimates I could get out, the more opportunities I had to close, and for for years in the industry, I thought I was doing the customer a favor in the showroom by saying, you know what, I'm not going to get you a number until we can get out to your house, because we want to get every elbow, we want to get every length of pipe, I want everything to be perfect for you, but actually that wasn't helping the customer, what they wanted was to know like, about what is this going to cost? That's the reason that I'm here. And for you to kill the momentum, send them out without an estimate, a business card, they call up an installer, they call up your estimator, it takes a week and a half, you know, all the stuff we talked about in the podcast, it actually ruins the momentum of the sale. So what we did, and I know you've done something similar at Falco's Grant, is we have a simple pricing spreadsheet that our sales team has used for the last six and a half years. And, and this actually started with me when I was a salesperson that Every single product that we sell in retail is set up with an installed price in virtually every bundle. We know the exact installed margin of what that costs. We have all of our discount levels broken down systematically. So if someone comes in and talks to three salespeople, they're going to get the same price, the same type of discount on every single product. And it makes it to where we can give a customer an estimate on a fireplace in, you know, honestly, like less than three and a half to four minutes if we have their information. We could probably even do it in less than two minutes on most of them. But I know I'm going off on a on a rabbit trail here, but I think that this is really important. And Grant, I know that you've had effective results not using the manufacturer's price books, but using your own Falco's pricing sheets, right? Yeah. It, this was something very early on when I took over some managerial responsibilities, very early on that I... I determined that was just way too inconsistent and something that Falco's has done, whether good or bad, we carry a lot of different lines. And so when I looked at our pricing, having 100 units on the showroom, it was just way too inconsistent. It was yeah. way too difficult to build that expectation. And, and like we talked about earlier, and I'm going to hammer this point, customers coming into your showroom, doesn't matter what they're looking for. They're looking to solve the problem. And secondly, looking at into how much does that solution cost? Yes. So pricing has to be two things for your salespeople and your, and your customers. It has to be easy and consistent. Yes. So we did it differently. So on the front side, we have a master Falco sales book. And, and just the, the short of it is that I have a retail price of a certain percentage. That is Falco's retail price built off cost and, and certain uh, margins. Mm -hmm. 
Then we have a sale price, and then we have a clearance price. That way we can look at inventory levels on a weekly basis. We send out a weekly sales sheet and we can analyze our inventory and make sure maybe if we have a little bit too many of one SKU, we would put that on sale. Maybe if at the end of the season I have five of something that I shouldn't have, I would put that on clearance. Yeah. It's easily identifiable. We, we show all prices on the showroom, which we can talk about at a later time, uh, to manage those expectations. The second part of that, Tim, it's a little bit different from pricing. If we don't have time to write up a quote, although that's always our goal is to write them up a ballpark quote, not to get it perfect, but to get it close. We also have ballpark price sheets yes. that manage expectations just so that they understand the average consumer is paying this amount and they can kind of do the math on how to get there. So two ways of managing it through our pricing and then a quick ballpark uh, price sheet for them as well. Yeah. And this is some of the hardest work that you're going to do as a leader. So for me, you know, I spend the worst week of my life every year updating our pricing spreadsheet. But I'm telling you, like that single spreadsheet has made Fireside Home Solutions millions of dollars in sales over the last six and a half years. And the, and the reason why is because it's easier to get a price out. The salesperson understands what they can and can't do. They don't have to come back to me and ask, well, hey, we got a competitive quote. Can I discount it this much? Like All of that information is there and it makes it easy for the sales team. And this is why having a pricing solution that is not your manufacturer's price book is so important because you have to make it easy for your team to sell. And if you're counting on them flipping through the manufacturer's price book plus the you know wood stove vent kit to enter those part numbers into your POS system to give a customer an estimate, dude, good luck. They're going to do that with like only the customers that are begging and pleading with them to buy. They're not going to be doing anything to take people that were warm about a fireplace and nurture them into a super, super hot lead. So it's critical that you do this. And actually, as we're talking about this for us, like, you know, for the last three years, I've been working on basically building this into a digital solution that I've been talking about, you know, this season in the podcast, but we've been building this in digitally so that we can ask the customer a series of questions, choose the fireplace, get their email address, and instantaneously them and the salesperson get a copy of the estimate. And it's, it's an estimate range because that's all the customer wants, but they have an estimate range. Based on that range, we can either give them an estimate on a different product if the original one was too expensive or if the range is in line with what they wanted, then we'll schedule them for an in-home visit. But you know, this doesn't take rocket science. This is something that is... It, it just takes time and discipline, but I'm telling you, creating a simple pricing solution will transform your team, and honestly, it makes it to where you can hire anybody to be on your sales floor. It doesn't take a bunch of proprietary knowledge as an installer. Yeah, Tim, so good. I want to kind of close it out by just saying your pricing system that you're talking about, and I haven't really realized this until now, is kind of a judge of performance as well. So you if you fill these out each and every time and you know margin and you know certain things you can look back at it measure it and help that salesperson get better correct absolutely okay that sounds awesome we'll get back to our conversation with grant falco in just one minute hey while we're on the subject of talking about a sales department one thing that we have to be aware of is the fact that most of our showrooms are leaking customers and what I mean by this is that many times a customer comes into the showroom needing two questions answered. Question number one is what's going to work in my space? And question number two is how much is it going to cost? 
The problem is most of the time, salespeople move too quickly and they jump from product to product to product, not helping the customer actually understand what's going to work for them. Even worse is that they don't take the time to write up an estimate for the customer, so that person ends up leaving the showroom with a brochure, a business card, and no way for that business to ever get in touch with them again. This is an epidemic that's been going on for a long time, but now that we're in the midst of a crisis and business is drying up, we're seeing the effects of it. Well, if you want to take control of your showroom experience in an organized and cohesive way, you have to check out the new features that are coming out with Wi-Fi. So starting out in August, we're rolling out some features in Wi-Fi that are used specifically in the showroom. If your team members want to guarantee they ask the right questions, give customers a simple path to follow for understanding what fireplaces will work, provide instant estimates over and over and over again until you find exactly what's right, and then provide automated follow-up to nurture that customer into the point of a sale, you have to check out wifire.com. Now, this is all going to be coming in early August, and we have a special bonus for people that sign up prior to that, so do not wait take control of your showroom experience and sign up for Wi-Fi today. You can do that by going to wifire.com. That's W-H-Y-F-I-R-E.com. So number three, if you want to run an effective sales team, you have to have a sales process, you have to have a pricing solution. Number three, is some kind of a CRM system. Now, for those of you that don't know what CRM means, it is customer relationship management. And the reason I say CRM system is that this doesn't have to be software. So for some companies listening to this, you pay for CRM software like Salesforce or something like that. Man, God bless you. That's amazing. We don't. Our CRM system is a Google spreadsheet that's shared between team members. And what this does is this tracks every open opportunity. So any salesperson at any time knows all of their open opportunities. They categorize them based on where they are in the sales funnel. So like stage one of our sales funnel is the customer has not received an estimate. Stage two is that they have received an estimate. Stage three is that we've scheduled an in-home visit. Stage four is we've completed the in-home visit. And then stage five is that the job is either won, lost, or put on hold. Really, really simple. But on this CRM spreadsheet that we have, everything is categorized that way. And it's a fairly intricate spreadsheet where it kind of alerts when you haven't touched base with a customer for so long. But we track when was the last phone call that we made, how many follow-ups have we reached out to this customer with, and then what are the notes and the next steps on the job. This might sound intimidating, but I'm telling you, giving your team members a way to manage their sales pipeline will transform your sales team, period. Tim, I couldn't agree more. And this is something that has actually just been something we've started. And and I would admit that for the last five years, we've had really no CRM system. Of course, follow-up is vital and it's a part of our bid process. But, but bids aren't the only leads you're following up on. Every customer coming into the store you should try to get phone number, email address, and name from to follow up. Uh, any website lead, whether it's from a manufacturer yeah. website or your own website, needs to go into the CRM program. And so you can keep it very basic. We have started at a very basic level of qualifying what the leads are. So first of all, our sales team needed to know what are leads. And basically, I just kind of talked to them, website, online leads, store leads, and then uh, bid our consultation leads. And then what we do is we, in our 
our management system, our inventory system and how we w- work up all our quotes, we actually have all these people in there and we give percentages of that on a weekly basis. My CRM gives me a million opportunities, but it doesn't necessarily focus it for me. So my play call sheet is with me and it's physical. It's on paper. When I have downtime, I flip it open. I can call, I can email, I can do whatever I need to to pursue this next opportunity. Then I can check it off the list, move on to my next one. And I feel like it's the most important hour that a salesperson can spend is on Sunday night or Monday morning planning their week. You know, Tim Rathlake talked last season about how a room full of salespeople is often like a room full of monkeys. Nearly every act is random. And I know that that can be true for me because I got a million things I'm trying to do and I'm, I just need focus. So having a weekly play call sheet where you hold your team accountable to spend an hour to think through their week to identify their best opportunities that they want to move the needle on and document that, go through the week and at the end of the week have them turn the play call sheet into you, man, like I just I think that this is like putting gasoline on a fire. Tim, it's exciting to hear that stuff. I think about just struggles as you transition in business, not necessarily just from sales, but you know, one of the hardest things is what is the next thing to work on? And and I always kind of equate it to a priority list. What you're doing is letting them know what the priorities are at different stages of the day or week so that they can complete all the things that they're supposed to do in that week. Because if they get off kilter a little bit, they might go in a different direction and not be able to finish all these other things that are are extremely important. So you're you're getting your team extremely focused, right? Absolutely. Yeah, you're you're getting them focused and you're giving them direction. And I don't use this like a stick that I beat them with if they don't complete their weekly play call sheet, but this really gives them direction and and my hope is that like if I came in to take away the weekly play call sheet, they get mad at me and be like, like you can't take this away. This is what I use to to calibrate my week and, and close sales and make money. Like the goal is for it to be a blessing. Now, listening to this, you may have team members that aren't organized that fight against this. And I would say, frankly, if they're not going to be organized and they're going to fight against keeping track of which opportunities are best and trying to move the ball down the field with them, dude, they're not the right salespeople for your team, plain and simple. You know, that was actually going to be one of my questions was, you know, what would you say to the people that would argue that this isn't correct because it's micromanaging? Well, it doesn't have to be micromanaging. It it depends on how you play it. But like with my team, there is an expectation that I don't expect you to complete 100% of your play call sheet, but I do expect that you fill it out every week and that in your downtime, you work on this. I have had people push against it and I have said, okay, we'll do an experiment you do it your own way, the rest of the team will do it this way, and we are going to reevaluate for effectiveness, and whichever one's more effective, that's the system we're going to go with. Guess what the results are? Yeah, I think they're pretty obvious. And I, and I think it really lends itself to a macro. When you talk about it, it, it seems very micro, but you're not standing over their shoulder telling them what to do at every step nope. of the way. You're giving them a direction and and they know what their priorities are. And at the end of the week, you're checking in with them. And I would, I would say it lends itself to more of a macro style of managing. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, for anybody listening to this, it, it might seem like a lot. And this takes time. Like, you know, it, it took, I don't know four to seven months to like really get this to take off. But like, it's worth it, man. You know, if your sales team can focus their opportunities, know who they're going after and plan their week out, they will close more sales and help more customers with more effectiveness and less callbacks. There's just, there's no way around it. 
No question. And Tim, with every modification, improvement, or change you make to your business, you're going to get some resistance, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's just the truth. Like, you know, no one likes to change, but everybody likes to improve. So you can frame this, and you don't have to do it all at once, but you can frame this as a way to say, look, you're paid in a commission. I want to make you more money. Here's a way that we can do that by keeping these opportunities in front of you. And and they see it modeled with me, where I've got my own play call sheet that I do, where I know every single day of the week my priorities. So they see it modeled through me as well. 100%. You know, and as we, uh, as we talk about this and I think about how hard it is to start something, that kind of leads us to our fifth tool yeah. a little bit because having meetings, Tim, having weekly or, you know, consistent sales meetings, yes. just what people think of meetings, you know, when you say the word meeting, everybody kind of goes, uh, <laughs> why do you think that's so important? Oh, dude, it is everything. Having regular sales meetings is everything. And I just go back to, I spent years in the industry without ever having a sales meeting. We never talked about goals. We never talked about progress. We didn't even talk about the promotions that were coming up. And again, it's not an indictment on the places I worked at before. It's just saying that, man, there's opportunity when you can meet regularly with your teams and keep them aligned. They're going to stay focused. They're going to be energized and they're going to want to go run through a wall for you. So having regular sales meetings is tool number five. And I can't even tell you how vital it is to running your sales team because you could have a sales process. You could have a pricing solution, a CRM, have people do their weekly play call sheets. But if you're not meeting regularly to reward the successes that they've had and to talk about where there's opportunities to learn, you've got nothing. You have no idea if your plans are actually being followed through. I mean, there's just there, a meeting has to happen. 100%. And you can't do it by yourself. So like when you talk about the sales process, the price, uh, the pricing spreadsheet or, or folder, the CRM, the weekly play call sheet, how do you think you put that together? Well, you don't put that together by selling more. You don't put that together by solving a problem over here. You put that together by being aligned and meeting consistently and focusing on it, whether it's performance, investment, or, or hot topics, correct? Totally. So the timing of this is so funny because literally yesterday I drove down to Eugene, Oregon, and I taught a course for OHPBA that was called Meet to Win. And it was about how building a culture and a cadence of regular meetings will grow your influence and effectiveness better than just about anything else in your company. And the truth is that no one likes a bad meeting. They suck. But when you're in a good meeting and your leader or business owner or manager is investing in you and actually holding you accountable to speak about your successes and failures, dude, it motivates your team to win. And you know, many business leaders don't have meetings because they feel like they don't know what they're doing. And actually, you helped me out with this last night as I was doing my final prep work, Grant, is like there's a lot of insecurity that they, they don't know how to run a meeting. They've never done it. They feel insecure and they're worried that they'll be embarrassed or that it won't be effective. But man, I just, I can't tell you enough. Like if you're going to be an effective leader, you have to meet regularly with your team. It'd be like, in the NFL, if you just decided never to have a huddle and you just go out in the field, no one knows what play you're doing. Dude, there's going to be so many penalties, you're going to get crushed. Like having a huddle where you say, okay, this is what we're going after. This is where we are. Okay, everybody, we're on the same page. We're going to hike the ball, you know, with 21 seconds left on the clock. Ready to go? I mean, that's what a sales meeting is. It's the lifeblood to your team. 
a sales meeting and meetings in general are a, a time for you to solve the problems, to focus on the things that you don't have time in the whirlwind of business. And 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 when you're out there selling, that's not solving any problems. That's not investing into the company, working on the company. And a, a meeting is to, I love the word align, to yeah. align the leaders and the people that are working within that department to be all on the same page. Uh, for us, it, you know, it, it comes down to three things, which I I mentioned earlier, it comes down to performance. So we want to know how we're performing, of course, right? But we also have to be thinking if we're not performing, we don't just let people not do anything. We have to be investing. Yeah. So, you know, the direction people, if we had a, a two years ago, if I took a poll of, of meetings, I think my, the approval rate would be very low. Yeah. With a plan, with a direction, I would say that I would almost say 100% of the people currently on Falcos could say we couldn't do this without a meeting. And the amazing part, Tim, is is we have examples of that on a weekly basis. Yes. We meet on a weekly basis and we still don't get things done. Yep. Think about that. What would it be like if you guys didn't do meetings? Oh, ex- exactly right. What are You don't even know what you're losing. And if it's effectively difficult to do with weekly meetings, man, what are you losing by not doing those meetings? No kidding. And and yesterday when I shared in this course, I gave people an agenda. And you know, the agenda can be whatever you want, but I would encourage with these sales meetings, keep the agenda the same or very similar, but we just do four simple things. Number one, we review the scoreboard and we talk about performance. Now that implies you have to have a scoreboard, so you have to know where you're going with your team, but we just review it. Number two is we talk about current and upcoming promotions. Number three is the time to air grievances. What is wrong? Talk about it. You can be unfiltered. What's holding you back from selling? Why are things difficult? That's what we do in the meeting. And number four is sales practice. This is the most important thing you can do as a leader with your sales team. I've talked about this at nauseum, so I'm not going to beat a dead horse, but if you can do that in your meetings, whether it's every week, every other week, I wouldn't go once a month. I'd try to go every week or every other week, but review the scoreboard, talk about current and upcoming promotions, air grievances of what's making it difficult, and do live sales practice. Dude, you are going to set yourself up to win. Tim, so good, man. Well, Grant, I love it. We had a lot more things that we added to this list, but if you can start with these five, man, you're going to transform your sales department. Number one, establish a sales process. Number two, a simple pricing solution, whether it is like a physical notebook, digital, online, whatever. Number three, use a CRM to track your opportunities and move them down the field. Step four, focus that CRM into a weekly play call sheet. And step five, meet regularly with your team. Dude, I love it. I wish we had more time to talk because we could honestly go for like an hour on each one of these. But I think that we hit something really special with these five. Absolutely. Awesome, Grant. Well, hey, man, thanks for stopping by. I'm super excited for the rest of this series going through the different departments, but I appreciate you being here for sales. Tim, thanks for having me. That was a ton of fun, man. All right, man. See ya. Yeah. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Grant Falco. I loved getting a chance to dive deep on the leadership of a sales department. And as I look back at my journey in the hearth industry over the last 15 years, My evolution as a salesperson was very slow, and there was a point where it started a rapid growth curve, and that corresponded with me starting to take advantage of the tools that we talked about in this episode. Now, going back through the list, 
I believe number one, a sales process is so critical. And we spent a lot of time on this last season in the podcast going through our seven-step retail sales process. And the steps are simple. Greet the customer. Understand their problem. Advise a solution. Make a plan. Call to action. Pursue the opportunity. And show gratitude. Understanding these steps literally gives you a roadmap. And I've had immature salespeople say to me, well, Tim, that's great at the beginning, but but now that I've been doing it for a while, I don't need that anymore. I would argue just the opposite. I'm 15 years into this game, and I still find myself going back to the basics of how does my sales process work over and over and over. It's those basics that will help you ultimately move the needle. So, Identifying a sales process, whether it's mine or whether it's one that you came up with and teaching it to your team and using that common language is absolutely critical. Now, the pricing solutions, that's a big deal. You've heard me say on the podcast before that really you need to be able to provide a customer an estimate in less than five minutes or you're losing money. And so creating easy pricing solutions that utilize your manufacturer's price books but don't solely rely on them is really, really important. Once you've got a pricing solution in place, the next thing is the CRM, Customer Relationship Management. What's the system that you use for that? I mean, there's big, expensive CRMs that are out there, and that's great if you want to pay for something like Salesforce.com or HubSpot or something similar. What I found as I was doing research when I was at Fireside was that in order for us to adopt a big, expensive CRM, it wasn't a matter of just tweaking what we did. We were actually going to have to bulldoze all of our processes and rewrite them around a CRM and it just wasn't feasible. So that led me to create one and we used a simple spreadsheet and we used a simple spreadsheet to start out with and organized our opportunities based on the customer name, the product category, which stage of the sales pipeline it was at and it grew from there. And over time, the CRM became something that our team used interchangeably with each other. We could pass notes. We could all update the status of our jobs. And it was the lifeline to the way that we ran our business and tracked our opportunities. Now, laying my cards on the table, in the very near future, Wi-Fire is actually going to be launching our own CRM. I'm so passionate about the fact that we have to have a way to manage our opportunities, and most of the solutions that I've seen are very complex and very expensive. So with Wi-Fi, what we're going to be doing is taking the CRM that I created for my team and basically just supercharging it to where this is the ultimate tool for simplicity and organization for your teams. So stay tuned on that. But whether you use Wi-Fi's, whether you use a big expensive CRM system, or whether you use just a piece of graph paper with lines on it, that's totally fine. The point is keep track of your opportunities so that you never miss a beat with a customer. Once you've got your CRM in place, that's where the weekly game plan comes in. And I would actually say it's so hard to pick your favorite of all these things, but the weekly game plan, it might be my favorite out of any of the tools that we've listed. And the reason why is that I've seen weekly game plans transform mediocre salespeople into very productive team members because every week they know the opportunities that they're going after and they take advantage of it. And this is power. I mean, I know for me personally, if I go into a week without a game plan, if I haven't thought through 
what's ahead of me these next few days? What are my priorities that I'm going to go after? I'm a mess. I'm mediocre at best. But when I can sit down to plan out my week and I go into every single day knowing the opportunities that I'm going to be working on, I succeed. And I'm telling you, your salespeople are the same way. So the weekly game plan is absolutely huge. Lastly, regular sales meetings. (laughs) Do not miss this. It's so important, especially the part about life practice. Getting together with your team members on a regular basis to talk through what's working what's not. And then lastly, practicing your craft is one of the most important things that you can do. I have seen so much transformation in the regular practicing of our sales craft. And everybody hates it. Everybody complains. You just got to get over it. And as the leader, you have to jump in first. But when I work with companies, live sales practice is one of the best things that we do. And people learn so much from it. So, The question I'd ask you is, this episode contained a lot, and as you're leaving here, what are you going to take and implement? Now, you might already be doing some of the things that we talked about, but the truth is that there's no way in one week you can adopt all five of these tools. So where are you going to start? What's the low-hanging fruit? Are you going to document the steps of your sales process, put it up on the board, and make that the common language that your team uses? Are you going to invest into a CRM system to track every opportunity? Are you going to take advantage of creating a weekly game plan that helps focus your team and also hold them accountable? Where is it that you're going to start? I think during this time of crisis, we have an amazing opportunity to redefine our leadership and redefine our businesses. But that window is closing. Sooner than we know, it's going to start to feel like you're just back in the same old grind Now is the time to do something about it. You have an opportunity with your team as they've been disrupted as well. You have an opportunity with yourself. So go after it. Now is the time to take advantage of creating an unbelievable sales department because I don't think most of your competition is. Now, I can't wait for next week's conversation as we jump into the next department, which is installation. And I'm just telling you that Grant Falco has so much to say about this. His views on installation are an absolute game changer. So I can't wait to talk to you guys next week. If you have any questions, you can email them to tim at itsfiretime.com. That's tim at itsfiretime.com. If you want to support this podcast financially, if this has been a blessing to you, you can go to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash it's fire time. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash it's fire time. And my hope for you is that you have an amazing rest of the week and that you look and my hope for you is that you have an amazing rest of the week and that you take a hard look at how you can put these tools in place to serve the people around you. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time. I'm all in to burn.